Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find their victory in Christ alone. Caught in in the middle of a lightning storm and scared for his life, and thinking about the, the judgment from the Lord that was to come, a young Martin Luther made a deal with God. He said he would become a monk if God would just spare his life. Well, Martin didn't die, and soon after he joined a monastery, fulfilling his promise to God. And it was, it was at that monastery that, that he drove his fellow monks a little bit crazy, particularly during confession. You see, for, for most monks, confession was just a, a short little practice which consisted of the, the telling of superficial sins, and then the priest would grant them absolution, typically only giving them a small penance to perform. Yet for Martin Luther, this, this daily routine would, would at times last as long as six hours. Being, being so afraid of the, of the judgment of God, he confessed every little misdeed. Now, now, Luther didn't do this out of a love for God. Rather, Martin confessed that he hated God. For him, all he could see were the demands of the Lord. And the cruel joke was that he couldn't get rid of his sinful nature. No matter how hard he tried, he, he continuously gave in to temptation, breaking God's command. This man was so fearful of the of immediate judgment that he wanted to make sure that, that, that no stone was left unturned, that even the minutest of sins had been absolved. Though Martin did hate his sins, he could not avoid them. For he was not like his Lord, who conquered every temptation. 
Now, if you remember from last week, I spoke of three keys from Jesus' baptism that, that help us to understand our story for today. Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus being the Son of God. And if you recall, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the middle of the desert in order to be tempted by the devil. After having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter came to him, telling him to turn the, the, the nearby stones into bread. It was a temptation for Jesus to, to use his, his authority and his powers as a son of God in order to be self-sufficient. Jesus replied to the devil with these words, It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus did not succumb to the, the temptation to be self-sufficient. Rather, he put his faith in his Father to sustain his life. Of course, Satan doesn't give up that easily, does he? And in our text for today, we see two more attempts at trying to get Jesus to sin. The first being in verses 5 and 6. Let's look at those verses again. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, if you're like me, you may be wondering to yourself, what kind of temptation is this? I mean, seriously, I don't know about you, but, but let me just say, if the devil put me on the top of a tall building and said, oh, I dare you to jump, I, I don't have any inkling to do so. The, the urge just isn't there for me. So what's going on in our text for today? Satan is a crafty one. While this temptation might not seem like much to, to you or to I, it was to Jesus. For once again, it, it concerned his title, the Son of God. I mean, think about Jesus' last response. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There, Jesus relied on the word of God. And, and, and the passage that he quoted indicated that he had a full trust in his Father in heaven, even for his very life. And so what does the tempter do? He, he uses that trust in an effort to manipulate Jesus. And he quotes scripture to do so. Basically, what the, what the devil is saying is this. Okay, Jesus, you trust in your father. I get it. Now put that trust to the test. Throw yourself down, proving that you are the son of God. In other words, demonstrate your faith by truly putting your life on the line. For you know that God will send his angels to catch you. After all, it says it right here in God's word. 
When I say the word snake handling church, how many of you understand what I'm speaking about? A number of hands. So, so most of you know what I'm talking about. It's in these churches that they, they bring in these venomous snakes. And, and people handle them. They hold on to them. They pass them back and forth to each other. Um, and they do this in order to prove their faith in God. So you see, what these folks have done is they, they've taken one verse, they've used it as a proof text, and they've done it to, to demonstrate that, that God is working through them. Well, this is what we see going on with the devil and his temptation to Jesus. He quotes a, a small portion of scripture in order to entice Jesus to prove that God has his back. Let's look at that portion of scripture that Satan quoted. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you notice anything different from, from the actual psalm when compared to the devil's quote? What's the difference? The devil left out the phrase to guard you in all your ways. Satan is the, the original twister of God's word. And here he, he takes a, a small portion of text, and by doing so, he, he takes it out, and by doing so, he reverses the original intent of this passage. Instead of a poetic exhortation to trust God in everyday life, in all your ways, Satan turns these words into a test to see if God is faithful. The devil's lie in this second temptation stems from a misuse of God's word in order to justify something that would otherwise be considered as sinful. Ask yourself, how often have you tried to do the same thing? It can be easy to take a quote out of context to, to misinterpret the Bible in order to rationalize the sin in your life. The most common way this is done is when a person says that they're, they're saved by grace. It says it right there. What did we just read to, to our children? We're saved by grace through faith. It doesn't matter how much we sin, right? After all, God will, will forgive us of all of it. Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. And the Apostle Paul addressed this very issue. In his letter to the Romans, Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Twisting God's word for your own personal advantage does not demonstrate trust in God. Rather, it is an attack on faith. Let's see how Christ responded. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, we see Jesus going to the scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which reads as follows. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Now, what happened in Massah that, the God, that God would reference such an incident? What this passage in Deuteronomy is referring to is an occurrence from the book of Exodus. So let's, let's see what happened there. Look at Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? The people of Israel were putting God to the test. Let me ask you, do you ever find yourself saying something like this? God, if you are real, then show yourself. Or do you ever ask this question? Lord, if I do this, then will you do that? Or how about this one? God, I did all of this for you. If you are truly a loving God, then won't you do this for me? Or finally, Lord, if you, if you truly are a loving God, then why am I suffering? It's questions like these that are, that are, that are subtle ways that we, we put God to the test. They, they are no different than the, than the snake handlers. And they're, they're no different than the grumblings that, that Moses heard from the Israelites when, when, when they put God to the test in the wilderness. And yet in our story for today, Jesus shows us how he fulfilled all righteousness. He did not put the Lord to the test, but rather he trusted in his Father, knowing that he is faithful. He did, not, he did not have to throw himself off of a building in order to demonstrate the protection that he had from God. No. He did not question God's faithfulness, but simply trusted. No proof necessary. Which leads us to our last temptation, verses 8 and 9. 
Satan couldn't get him with those first two, so he's going to try one last time. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And one last attempt, Satan strikes at the root of sin, pride. The devil tempted Jesus with power and prestige and, and wealth. He tempted him with a, with a world conformed to his will. And all Jesus would have to do was to bow down. He had to worship something other than God. This was an assault on the first commandment. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. How many of you know the song Imagine by John Lennon? A lot of you, yeah. Let me read to you the lyrics of this song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. This, this is what Satan was offering to Jesus. A world in perfect harmony under his own rule. Every nation would be subdued by Jesus. All the evil dictators would be gone. The bitter rivalries between competing parties would be no more. Hunger would be done away with. And violence is a, a thing of the past. Because Jesus would have absolute control. The only problem with such a world is explained in the song's first line. Imagine there's no heaven. This is your basic deal with the devil. If Jesus just bent the knee, bowing to Satan, he would no longer be that perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice that is needed for salvation. He would no longer be able to fulfill all righteousness. You see, what the, what the devil was tempting Jesus with was a shortcut. It was a, it was a road that, that bypassed the cross. It was a pragmatic philosophy. The ends justify the means. Dear friends, what is it that tempts you to cut corners? In this pragmatic world that we live in, it's, it's easy to justify any action so long as the results look pleasing. Victory by any means necessary. How did Jesus respond? Look at verse, verse 10. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Again, we see Jesus going to Scripture to battle his enemy. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13, which basically recapitulated that first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus would not worship a false god, but would remain loyal to his father. And so in, in, in all the devil's schemes, Christ, the Son of God, was victorious. But did you notice what else Jesus said to the tempter? Away from me, Satan. There is a, a forcefulness in these words of our Lord. He was taking command of the situation, demonstrating that his power was greater than the devil's. What does Satan do? He obeys and leaves. Jesus has flipped the script. We now see, we now see who the true king of this world really is. Satan has had his way with mankind long enough, but no more. Jesus was taking back his throne. And at his command, Satan fled. This is the victory of our Lord. This Son of God, who was, who was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit, who, who did not depend on himself, but was in full reliance upon his Father, was proven worthy. He did not succumb to the pressure to test such reliance, but was secure in the knowledge that his life was safe, safe in his Father's hands. And he did not give in to the temptation of power, he did not take that easy road of establishing his kingdom through sheer will. But he fulfilled all righteousness as he looked forward to the cross. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, there are, are three ways that you can look at Jesus' temptation. You can see them as being an example for you to follow. And that they are. Jesus promotes the use of Scripture in order to battle temptation. And likewise, you too should know God's Word so well that you will not be deceived by the schemes of the devil. But you could also look at our passage and, and take comfort in the fact that, that Jesus will be your help in your temptation. And this is also true. 
You see, Jesus knows what you are going through, for he has already been through it. And he bears you up through yours. But there is a greater purpose as to why Jesus went through such trials. For it is when you, it is when you fail in your temptations that Jesus' success is so vital. For it is then that you are in most need. For it is in your failures and your sinfulness that you need a substitute. It is this last purpose that our friend Martin Luther had not understood until he discovered the gospel for himself. That a righteousness, not his own, had been given to him. All those times he had succumbed to temptation, Jesus had been victorious. And this is what your Lord has done for you as well. Dear friends, every time you seek to be self-reliant, Christ imparts to you his trust to the Father. Every time you, you test the Lord your God, Jesus gives to you his patience and endurance. Every time you seek to build your own kingdom instead of seeking his kingdom, your Lord grants to you that, that hard road that he journeyed, the road that led to the cross. In other words, when you give in to your temptations, when you struggle with your sins, Christ gives to you his righteousness. He gives to you his victory. So turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. For only he can bring such a victory to you. Let us pray. Father, we confess that too often we succumb to our temptations. We give in to our sinful nature. And so we look to your Son who has, who has gained that victory for us. We ask now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, producing faith within us, and aiding us in our repentance. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.